Please turn your Bibles once again to Hebrews and chapter 12. We'll be considering the first two verses of that chapter. While you turn to that, let me just express my gratitude to the Lord and to you for the opportunity granted to me to share out of God's word. Not just last night, but tonight. Thank you for the invitation, Pastor Tate. Verse 1 and 2 of Hebrews chapter 12 will be our text. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The book of Hebrews divides itself into two parts. The first part, running from chapters 1 through to 11, is doctrinal. And the second, running from chapter 12 right through to the end of the book, is practical or applicatory, if you like. The doctrinal part highlights and demonstrates the superiority of Christ's priesthood over that of Aaron. The practical part, on the other hand, consists of practical exhortations, urging the Hebrews to be consistent in their service to Christ, especially by virtue of his superiority. Our text is part of the practical section. The writer's thesis consists in urging his readers to look unto Jesus, not to angels, not to Moses, not to Aaron, but unto Jesus. But why did he have to encourage them in this way? Well, it would appear that this was occasioned by the fact that many Jewish believers, having stepped out of Judaism into Christianity, were now being tempted to reverse their course on account of the fear of persecution by their own countrymen. The writer to the Hebrews, therefore, exhorts them not to give up but to go on to perfection, not to turn back, but to pursue their race toward the reward, to pursue their race toward the promises God made to them. He seems to be arguing that Christ is better. He is better than angels and he is better than Moses. 
is better than the Aaronic priesthood. He is better. They must therefore follow him. Angels, in fact, worship him. He created Moses. His sacrifice was for all time rather than a temporary thing as would have been the case for the Aaronic priesthood. He is better in the sense of mediating a better covenant than Moses mediated for. In short, there is more to be gained in Christ than in Judaism. Pressing on in Christ, therefore, makes better sense. That is what he seems to be arguing here. Now, like the believing Jews of old, you may be facing the temptation of sliding back from your faith. Maybe you are struggling with sin. And in spite of knowing that Jesus is all, Jesus is everything, he is the fairest among 10,000, you are being tempted to look away from him. And you are being called to look at other things. You are perhaps being enticed to the world and the flesh and the devil. You are being nudged not to trust Jesus. If this is the case, then what I want to say to you tonight is look to Jesus. Or as another version puts it, fix your eyes on Jesus. Like the Jews of old, you may be suffering persecution, maybe at the hand of your own fellow believers. Perhaps you don't believe as they do on some things, and you are feeling like compromising because you fear that you may be victimized. I say to you, don't fear men. Look to Jesus. You may be living and laboring in a country that is slowly but surely turning her back on her Christian heritage and calling her citizens, like you, to rather worship the gods of secularism, humanism, religious pluralism, and human rights. These vices are all conspiring to shake your faith, to sap out your joy in the Lord, to derail and make you fail as a Christian. Like the Apostle Peter, when he was challenged to walk on water toward Christ, and instead of doing that, he began to focus on the waves and consequently began to sink. Even so, you may be sinking because you are looking at isms. I wish to boldly say to you this morning, rather this evening, fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, to fix 
our eyes on Jesus is to firmly gaze upon him. It indicates the action of one who looks away from rival attractions and deliberately, deliberately casts his eyes on Jesus. The writer to the Hebrews compares our Christian walk with running a race in order to win the prize. When running a race, it is best to be looking at the prize, to look away from our own feet, not to look behind over our shoulders, but to look ahead, to look to the front, to look at the prize, and while doing so, to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because Jesus is the way to the prize. Now concerning the need to run the race in order to win the prize, there are six things I wish to highlight. Six things I wish to impress upon your minds and consciences. First of all, notice with me the prize to be won in the race. The prize to be won in the race. And in the book of Hebrews, the prize is variously referred to. First, in verse 26 of chapter 11, it is called the reward. The reward. It is talking about Moses here in verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. What was the reward? The chapter leaves us in no doubt that first of all, it is referring to the whole idea of being made perfect. Just men made perfect, according to chapter 12. It is referring to that time and place where we will be made perfect inwardly, and not just inwardly, but outwardly as well. We will possess the resurrected body. We will experience the better resurrection. We will be conformed to the image of Christ inwardly and outwardly. Paul in Philippians 3 says when we see him, when he appears and we see him, we shall be like him. We shall be made perfect. We shall be part of of a city, the city of the living God, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The ultimate reward is therefore to have God with us. And this God wiping away every tear from our eyes. This God 
removing death and sorrow and crying from our environment. This God removing pain and all the former things. Existing in that environment where we would be with God. Serving him. Loving him. Enjoying him. The place where we will be bereft of all that weighs heavily upon us, causing pain and bringing tears. The place where forever we will be comforted. That's the price. That's the price to be won in the race. Let's notice in the second place the hindrances we meet with during the race. The hindrances we meet with during the race. And there are three potential hindrances to the Christian race. First of all, indwelling sin may be the hindrance. Indwelling sin. You may be justified today. You, you may stand right before God today. Because when you put your faith in Christ, he put on you the righteousness of his dear son. And having been declared righteous, your past, present, and future sins are all forgiven. And you are considered as if you had never sinned before God. That is what is recorded in the books. But that notwithstanding, we have sin remaining in our hearts still. According to Romans and chapter 7 and verse 18, Paul discovered sin in his heart. The great apostle Paul, who, like you and I, stood right before God. But he testifies that when he would do good, evil was right there with him. Indwelling sin was right there with him, even as it is right there with us. And because of indwelling sin, you cannot do anything perfectly. You want to? You desire to, and you pursue that. But when you think you are at the summit, and you open your eyes, lo and behold, you find sin right there with you. Indwelling sin may be a hindrance. Secondly, besetting sin may be a hindrance. A besetting sin is a sin that lingers on even after becoming a Christian. You hate sin. You must hate sin if you are born again. But although you hate sin and you are no doubt fighting against it and endeavoring to destroy it, yet 
it lingers on. That sin. Oh, you seem to have succeeded at overcoming ever so many others. But there is that sin. It could be pride that lingers on. Or sinful anger that lingers on. Unbelief that lingers on. Or lust that one sin that above all others is likely to hold you back from progress. Perhaps even to bring you down. That is your besetting sin. I wonder what your besetting sin is. I wonder what is standing in the way of your progress. That sin that daily causes you to cry because you cannot get there. You cannot achieve your goals. It stands in the way. Besetting sin may be a hindrance. Temptation from without may be a hindrance. Temptation from Satan, no doubt. Temptation from the world. Maybe the temptation is all held in this little instrument called your smartphone. It keeps you from prayer. It keeps you from church activity. It keeps you from performing so much other good. It stands in the way of progress. And it may very well stand in the way of winning the race. The hindrances we meet with during the race are summarized in that little word sin indwelling sin besetting sin the temptation of sin let's hurry on in the third place and look at the preparation to be made for the race the preparation to be made for the race in a physical race a racer must Throw off all superfluous clothing before he can effectively compete in the race. <clears throat> he must take off his gumboots and his jackets, whatever is heavy and would tend to draw him backwards, make him heavy and make it impossible for him to run effectively. He must take that off. Even so, in the Christian race, we must throw off anything that easily entangles. That's how we prepare. And the writer to the Hebrews states two things that we must lay aside. In verse 1, he says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. First note, he says, we must lay aside 
every weight. And weight means a mass or a burden. And the weights the author may have had in mind were wrong beliefs. Wrong beliefs can weigh us down. Wrong beliefs can weigh down your heart, can entangle your feet, distract your attention, deplete your energies. Weights, wrong beliefs may take you out of the race. It would appear that the Hebrews were carrying the weight of Judaism. They could not move beyond Moses and Aaron. They knew the gospel, no doubt about that, but they still clung to the rudiments of the Mosaic faith. They still believed or wanted to believe that although they had been circumcised, for example, rather circumcised in their hearts, although they had been born again, they still needed the physical circumcision. This is what the Judaizers would have them believe, that it was not enough to have Christ. It was not enough to be justified through belief in Christ. They also needed circumcision, that it was not enough to put their faith in the sacrifice of Christ, the one and only sacrifice that could take away sin, they still needed the animal sacrifices. They clung to that, and it was keeping them from being effective. It was keeping them from having a full assurance of faith. It was keeping them from being at their best. I wonder what weights are keeping you from being at your best. I wonder what things you still believe that are holding you back from experiencing true freedom in Christ, a full confidence in him. You must identify what those weights are and resolve to do whatever it takes to lay them aside. Secondly, the writer to the Hebrews states that we must lay aside the sin that easily besets us. This is what he would have the Hebrews do in verse 1. Let us lay aside every weight and not just every weight, but the sin which so easily ensnares us. The word sin here can also mean offense or a trespass. To beset or to ensnare is to skillfully surround. And in the context of a racer, the idea is for the racer to be surrounded in every direction. It's supposed to be 
heading in this direction. He's supposed to be keeping his eyes on the prize in this direction, but he is surrounded in such a way that he cannot run in that direction. Indeed, he cannot run in any direction. The sin thwarts his goal of finishing the Christian race. It surrounds him. It, it prevents him from running the race and from heading toward the prize. Sin can invade and surround you everywhere. Hold back your heart. Hold back your feet. Hold back your hands that you are not able to do anything spiritually meaningful. You're not able to achieve anything for God. You must divest yourself of sin. It is said that the army of Alexander the Great, I'm sure you've all heard of this man. He was a Greek ruler who overcame the Persians and began to rule over a great empire. And as he was advancing toward Persia, at one critical point it appeared that his troops might be defeated. The soldiers had taken so much plunder from their previous campaigns that they had become weighed down and were losing their effectiveness in combat. Alexander immediately commanded that all the spoils, all the booty, be thrown into a heap and burned. The men complained bitterly. They had worked so hard. They had gained the spoil. They must now throw it away. They must now burn it. But they had to obey the command of their master. And they soon came to see the wisdom of the order. And someone among them wrote that it was as if wings had been given to them. They walked lightly again. Victory was ensured. Even so, you must burn the weights. You must lay aside the sin you may be carrying if you must make progress on your way to the celestial city. I remember trying to help a brother many years ago who had been in a backslidden state. After many years of wallowing in darkness, he came back. He came back to church. And we soon surrounded him. I took interest in him and began to work with him to help bring him back to the Lord and to spiritual effectiveness. But I noted that although he was coming to church, and although I was meeting him on a weekly basis, he wasn't really making much spiritual progress. And I asked him one evening, Brother, have you really repented of your sin? 
Have you really turned your back on the things that made you to go to the world? And he answered, if I must be honest, I haven't. I still love these things. And I said, that's why you're not making progress. You must repent. Continuing in sin may be a sign that you are not the Lord's. And if you died today, you may go to hell, brother. He saw the error of his way and he broke down and cried and sought the Lord's forgiveness right there before me in that room. And we began to see progress after that. Could it be that you are not making progress in your walk with the Lord because you are holding on to your sin? You are holding on to those dulling secret sins. Lay them aside. Repent. And you will see progress, man. Fourthly, notice with me the fortitude required to win the race. The fortitude required to win the race. The writer of the Hebrew says the race must be done with hopeful endurance. Note that in verse 1. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance. With endurance. That word translated endurance can also mean patience. Or staying power. Or stamina. Or resistance. It's referring to the strength of mind. That enables a person to encounter danger or perhaps bear pain or adversity with courage. We must show this when we run the Christian race. You can't run the race while you are sleeping. You can't run the race while you are watching television. You can't run the race while you are amusing yourself and not focusing on what you are about. The race must be run with endurance. In the New Testament, the characteristic of a man of endurance is expressed in not being swerved from your goal even by the greatest trials and sufferings. Running a race is hard. It's difficult. It's actually painful. But you must not pay attention to the pain. Neither must you pay attention to the discomfort. Keep your eyes on the prize and endure the pain, endure the discomfort, 
Don't waver. In Romans 4 verse 21, we are told concerning Abraham, he was given a promise. And the promise was that he would be blessed with many children. Children as numerous as the sand of the sea. And Abraham kept his eyes on the promise. And the Bible tells us that he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Endurance is also expressed in being loyal to faith, to piety, in spite of the greatest trials and sufferings. Being loyal like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. Being loyal like Daniel was. Even in the face of difficulty, even while facing the possibility of losing his own life, he stood in the faith of his forefathers. One example I can think of of endurance, patient endurance, was illustrated not by a Christian man, but a Muslim man. <clears throat> going by the name Muhammad Ali. You might have watched a fight that has now been known to history as the Rambo in the jungle. And his opponent was none other than George Foreman. Ali himself described him as the most powerful of men at the time. He hit his opponent so hard most of his opponents were finished within two or three rounds. But during this rumble in the jungle, the jungle was somewhere in Africa, in Zaire, in Congo, Brazzaville, as it was known then. The fight ran over eight rounds. And in each of those rounds, George Foreman was true to his reputation. He pounded Muhammad Ali. He pounded him and pounded him and pounded him. And we were all expecting Ali to fall. But he took on the punches. He took them in. He, he soaked them in. And his strategy was to keep soaking them in until George Foreman grows tired. <laughs> and by the eighth round, George Foreman was so tired that he was easy meat for Muhammad at that point. Gave him one or two shots and he was down and the fight was over. What endurance that man displayed. And as Christians, we need to, to, to express a similar type of endurance. 
Sometimes we will be subjected to that sort of pounding, to those kind of trials and difficulties. And we must hang in there. We must keep running the race. We must keep the eye on the prize. We need a similar fortitude. Very quickly, to my fifth point, the inspiration we need for the race. The inspiration we need for the race. And the inspiration we need comes from the crowd of witnesses. In verse 1, Paul tells us about a great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And these witnesses are all written about in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. And they are called witnesses because they experienced the same challenges we do. They faced the same trials we face, if not worse. And they didn't give up. They finished their race. For example, Abraham's faith was tried. We are told in chapter 11 and verse 18, verse 8. But he did not waver. Moses, his faith was tried too. And he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He chose to esteem reproach for Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. And he kept his eye on the reward. And we are told about Hedion and Barak, Samson and Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets. They all obtained a good testimony through faith. And we will be rewarded together with them if we remain faithful. There's always a tendency for Christians when you are facing difficulties to behave like you are the only one who is going through that. Everyone else is fine. You are the only one who is facing challenges. You are the only one who is going through pain. You, you, you are the only one who is being tempted. You are the only one who has been deserted by God. You need to come to church to see that there are many others who might be going through worse experiences than you are doing. But they haven't kept away. They haven't kept away from church. They haven't kept away from God. They haven't kept away from their calling, from their Christian duties. They are still going. And here is a cloud of witnesses who didn't give in to difficulty, to trial, to temptation, who ran the race 
who got to the end. As we run our own races, we must look at this cloud of witnesses. Have you been doing that? The inspiration we need must come from these witnesses. I want to end on the sixth point, the incentive, the incentive we have to finish the race, the incentive we have to finish the race. And the incentive we have is the price, the price that is before us. And we find both an inspiration and an incentive by looking at Jesus. Look at verse 2. While we are running the race, we must look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Other versions would say the author and rewarder of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Lord Jesus Christ provided the first example of perseverance in suffering. In the days when he was on earth, he trod undeviatingly the path of faith. Why was he willing to endure the cross? Why was he willing to be taken to the cross? A place meant for the scum of the earth, the robbers, the adulterers, the murderers, the misfits of society. Why was he who is said to have known no sin willing to be taken there and to be mocked and insulted by sinful and cruel men? Why was he willing to hang there for hours on end and to have his own father forsake him and lay upon him the infinite weight of his wrath. Why? Well, verse 2 says there was a joy set before him. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And the joy set before him was the bride, the church that God had promised to him. The joy that was set before him was the glory that he would enjoy with his father after going through all that suffering. 
He will sit at the right hand of the throne of God, ruling as the God-man. And Philippians tells us that a name would be given to him. A name that is above every name. And at that name, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. We must look to him for inspiration and we must look to him for the incentive to finish the race. He is not just referred to as the author, but as the finisher of our faith. Just as there was a joy set before him, well, there is a prize set before us. And we looked at that at the beginning of the sermon. But more than that, Jesus himself will be the rewarder. He has run the race. He has finished it. He sits at the right hand of the throne of God. He is not looking away. He is looking at you, even as you run your race. He is not just cheering you on. He is empowering you. He is inspi inspiring you. He is enabling you to run that race and to finish it. And when you have finished it, he himself will reward you. Look at it this way. If he had not finished his race, there would be no one to reward you. There would be no reward for you. He went first and did it. So you have something to look at, something to be inspired by. And he waits for you at the end so he can give you your reward. That's the incentive. He has promised to give you a reward. And he will give you a reward. He will enable you to share in his glory. Let us therefore persevere in the race. Are you thinking like giving up? Are you on the verge of giving up? Are you on the verge of stopping, of apostatizing? Don't! Run on. Draw inspiration from many others, every other, all the others who have finished the race. Look 
particularly to Jesus. It's interesting that it doesn't say look to the cloud of witnesses. They are there to inspire you, but you are not to look to them. But you are to look to Jesus, who was perfect, who didn't stumble, who is the author and finisher of your faith. And if you keep your eyes on him, you will finish the race. You will be rewarded. You will live with him in the new heaven and the new earth. Run on looking to Jesus. Amen.